Welcome to the latest episode of the HR Resource Podcast. In this episode, we meet Felicity Hara, who's a freelance print and broadcast journalist. She writes regularly for the Times Independent Mirror and a regular contributor to the BBC News website. The BBC connection is one where I think you'll probably make your connection with her name and no doubt her voice, because she regularly covers presenting spots on Wake Up To Money on BBC Radio 5 Live and as a host on Moneybox on Radio 4. Unsurprisingly then, Fliss has a passion for consumer affairs and business and personal finance. But who knew she also had a passion for Lego? It's true. And we'll find out a bit more about that. Fliss is also a very busy mum. She has three boys under the age of 10 and a four-legged friend in the shape of a dog. And those sons, I'm sure, were very proud of mum last year when she came out with not one, but two awards for her broadcast journalism. So if you want to find out a little bit more about Fliss, you can listen to the podcast and you can also check out her website, felicityhanna.co.uk. And you can also find her on Twitter at Felicity Hanna. This is a very interesting conversation where we look at the current mood of the nation and what we think might well be life beyond lockdown. HRE Source with David Lord and guests. They love talking about people, but in a good way. I'm delighted to welcome to the HR Resource podcast, um, broadcaster, journalist, uh, and all-round wake-up-to-money person who uh, I've become very familiar with in terms of her broadcasting in that particular medium, Felicity Hanna. Hello, thank you very much for having me. And one of the things that I've got to say first and foremost, we, we had a, a brief chat just a second ago, is lockdown life. Um, quite often when I'm asking a guest to talk about that, they talk about the fact that everything's changed, everything's upside down. But you're, you know, you were saying, I think you'd like to share this, what you were talking about, the, the change for you is not so much that your working circumstances have changed and it's the same, but it's, it's more those around you. Yeah, it's really, it's really odd, actually. I've been working from home for about a decade and I've got used to it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm comfortable with it. I know what I'm doing. I, I, I can manage that kind of balance of the, the temptation to do housework, to put off deadlines. You know, I'm, I'm on top of that. I can do it. And then suddenly, Everybody in the country, well, every office worker in the country is uh, is working from home, and it's you know, everybody's sort of talking about the challenges and, and how they're getting on, and it's it's really been my 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 life most of my adult career. The big challenge for me actually is having to share my my home working space. So I'm actually coming to you today from my nine year old son's bedroom. I am surrounded, in fact, I'm surrounded by Lego mechs, um, among other things, because my husband is in a meeting downstairs and I think that he's, he's decided his meeting is more important. So he's in our sort of open plan office space. So I've had to come up here. But yes, working from home, I, I, I really like it. And I'm quite interested in how rapidly things have changed with, with, with this pandemic. You know, it's, it's gone from being sort of 
people doing it one day a week to just suddenly doing it full time. And I'm amazed at how many different industries have found that they can make it work, whereas before they thought definitely, definitely can't. Yeah, in my personal circumstances, something that I sent a tweet into uh, to yourself and readiness for a week to money when you were talking about this particular subject. Um, I took a picture um, and it was of my wife runs a ballet school. And um, my office, which we're in now, is uh, several days a week after four o'clock. Oi, you're out of here. It's now a ballet studio. So, uh, so that's what we need to do. Um, but I have a bone to pick with you because you actually called on my daughter. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, that's okay. That's not the, that's not the, that's not the actual first time that's happened. <laughs> when Sometimes when she's on a Saturday, she starts at 9.30 and runs all the way through. And obviously I must have been looking particularly haggard or oh, just my normal. <laughs> And, uh, no, I, 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 I assumed it was a. Uh... <laughs> no, no, yeah, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite okay. Uh, uh, but I came in with a cup of tea, and afterwards she was talking to one of the children in the uh, in the class, and they said, um, "It's nice your dad brings you cups of tea." <laughs> <laughs> so actually, face to face, you know, I think it is a bit of a bit of a, a joke between us, anyway. But yeah, she's um, she's adapted brilliantly. I mean, I, I, for me, it's been inspirational to to take what is very much face-to-face, -face, very social, um, very active occupation, which is being a teacher and being in an active and growing, fast-growing ballet school, to then find, well, you can't do that anymore. And she's had all the bits in between as well about the socially distanced teaching while she's actually physically with them. Um, and it's it's not not been the best for her, not been the greatest in terms of, of initially, how do I do this? She wasn't that keen on Zoom, um, but has now taken uh, view that actually it's probably a better way to go because she can see students um, on screen and it's amazing how they adapt how they're finding in little spaces but they're able to to do uh, to do the do the classes i've been so impressed actually by, by so many people who as you say teach physical things my, my boy's karate teacher he's been doing zoom karate lessons which i i won't say that they work as well as face-to-face -face karate classes because he can't move their arms and move yeah. their legs and show them what they ought to be doing but you know, it, it, it gets us through this time and it kind of keeps their interest and keeps them feeling like what they do is karate rather than having a year-long break where then they have to try and get back to it and feel like they haven't been keeping up with it so yeah I, I'm, I'm hugely hugely impressed by everybody who's managed to move their stuff online I even did a I did an online wine and cheese night which Again, you know, it, it is amazing what people have managed to to shift online, and it's not it's not perfect, it's not ideal, but it it gets us through. Yeah, and before we, I mean, in general terms, this this conversation, I want to talk about the mood of the country and how we are coping with with um, our circumstances, and um, hopefully being positive and optimistic, moving through out of more um, worrying uh, pandemic terms with the vaccination coming to the fore. I get mine tomorrow by the way. My vaccine. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. I'm very jealous. Uh, I managed to bring the appointment forward because the GP got in touch with me. And it's actually, it's so it's the 23rd of March. So it's it's exactly 12 months on, I am getting my jab. And, uh, <laughs> I thought I was doing really well because, you know, my age group fell into that category. Only for, only to turn out that my wife suddenly got an offer as well. And now she's having hers done before mine. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how dare that happen? Um, but I think it'd be really interesting to, for, for listeners to hear a little bit about um, Felicity's sort of early life and, and, and what how you found yourself in, in the role you have now because I understand you went to Edinburgh University and your degree was philosophy. 
That's a really useful degree. Don't don't pretend that's not no, a useful degree. Everybody not. needs philosophers. <laughs> oh yes, yes. So I studied philosophy at Edinburgh Uni just because I didn't know what I wanted to do and had a incredible four years of thinking about thinking and probably thinking about drinking and, and not much else. So I, I had the best university job. I worked as a ghost tour guide. Um, oh, so Edinburgh's got this. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't done Edinburgh that yet. I've worked in Edinburgh. Oh, you've not. I've got to do it. Yeah. You, you really, really do. Some of the ghost tour guides, uh, some of the ghost tours there are absolutely fantastic. And we used to go into, into the South Bridge, sort of underground vaults. You can turn the torch off and just leave your your group there in the in the dark and tell them terrifying stories and it yes, yeah, honestly if, if there was if there was money in ghost tour guiding I would still be doing it today it was the absolute best job I've ever had um and and yeah and then I my my, my sort of journalism career was 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 I think relatively slow starting I I wanted to be a journalist but I didn't want to live in London and that that has been a well, has been a previously a real challenge I think it's becoming easier now so I actually I worked for a, a price comparison site I edited a, a government well government facing um, magazine that I could do from Manchester and then I had my first baby coming up to for 10 years ago and decided that I would quit all my jobs and go freelance because that way I could steer my career a bit more the way I wanted to and that was the moment that I began to actually start writing for national newspapers uh, and specializing in what particularly interested me which was personal finance uh, business journalism consumer affairs and I I built a reputation there sorry sorry what what sparked that interest in personal finance so I think I I came of age um around the time of the sort of the, the 2008 financial crisis and yeah. I was very that, that was a time where I was writing this I was writing this defense magazine um sort of aimed at public servants that was I won't name it but it was essentially sort of what bomb and um I didn't feel like I was I wasn't very interested in the subject matter and I didn't feel like I was contributing anything particularly useful I was just sort of there to do the words yeah. and then I, I remember watching people queuing up outside Northern Rock on, on the news and thinking that there is nothing that underpins all our lives more than personal finance. There is nothing that could be more important in terms of a huge number of people than conveying and communicating what's happening to their money. And so that was the moment that I knew that's that's exactly what I wanted to do. But it took me, it took me a few more years and I, I began writing for various websites and you know, some quite big websites like Yahoo and MSN, and then sort of gradually building up from that to, to writing for newspapers and, and from there into broadcasting. And how did that leap to, to broadcasting happen? Or was it a leap or was it a sort of a, a natural progression? No, no, it was it was a huge leap. And I was, I'm, I'm hugely, hugely fortunate in that I have just consistently met people who have taken a punt on me and given me an opportunity and a chance. So the, uh, the, the team, the BBC team in Salford, they were looking for, freelance producers and I had absolutely no broadcast experience none at all but I went along and I I met one of the bosses there and she agreed to train me as a producer and I worked as a producer so behind the scenes for about a year and then they said well we we quite like the stories that you're bringing and we'll we'll put you on air and you know once a week or once every two weeks you can bring an original story and, and present it on the radio and I did that for about a year and then they sort of let me start presenting the wake up to money show when you know, the, the main presenter wasn't wasn't available or was off and it's sort of built up from there then I spilled over into doing money box on radio four and I've done a, a file on four documentary and, and of course I because I'm this 
odd fish. I'm not a BBC employee. I'm a freelancer. So I also actually, I'm quite often a BBC guest as well as being a BBC presenter. So I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll be a guest on BBC Breakfast talking about a personal finance topic or, or even other, other uh, stations and, 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 and TV channels. I, I've been sort of all over the place, ITN, Channel, channel 5, uh, I, I go on LBC. <laughs> Anyone will have me. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll come and have a chat to you. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Because the way that you could assume that the BBC and other corporations might work is that they have um, a bank of, of broadcasters of talent that they will use and, and there will almost be this exclusion around them. But it's, I think that's an area where there's been a little bit of trouble, isn't there? Because I'm only going to go into the technicalities of it, but this wonderful thing called IR35, which means, <laughs> you know, you set up a separate company to be able to perform yourself as a sort of a quasi freelancer, but ultimately you are part of, and then you become into this whole argument about the gig economy as well. You know, who, mm. what, what is your role? What is your, your, uh, your um, regular veteran? Who do you belong to? Nobody, to be honest, but who do you actually work with on a regular basis? Mm. And that, that is a problem for so many people. But I, I think I worked out that last year I had, I think, 20 different clients that I worked for or wrote for or broadcast for. Or So I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm as freelance and as gig economy as, yeah. as they come. And that adds spice in terms of the work you're doing as well and the people you're working with and adds to the experience. So that's, that's all good. I think I also read somewhere that, um, I'm not sure whether you produced it yet, and, and forgive me if I've not come across it, but you were in the middle of creating a novel. Does that happen? Oh, <laughs> oh many, many novels. I, I have written a, um, yes, I, I have written a, a, a book that has not been published. Uh, my, 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 my first novel was a young adult novel about uh, demonic terrorists, as you do. And, uh, but it was, it was a real learning curve, actually. I, I'm, I have a literary agent and she's fantastic. I haven't written anything for her yet, uh, but she, she took my first novel. She told me kind of where it, where it had gone wrong. Because it's actually, I just sat down and written it and actually you need to think about the you know, the three act structure and the, yeah. the 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 beats of the book and, and and these things that I I kind of I had instinctively half followed but I hadn't actually thought about and followed I had just literally sat down and churned out a story that interested me so now for, with everything that I've learned from writing that I, I am I am working on on other other projects but nothing nothing published yet. It's quite a different task, isn't it? Because I I copywriting and headlines and stuff like that and, and mm. the writing I, I quite fancy my chances of that I think I'm quite good at it equally have written I've had a couple of books published but business books which are quite mm. sort of dry and structured anyway so and they're not they're not a novel length so they're, they're, they're quite straightforward things to do but I also have novel inside but it's such a, it is a much harder for for me personally I think it's a much harder process because you do have to consider constantly putting yourself in the shoes of the, the, the reader of the, uh, of, how are you creating something that's going to draw them in and hold them for, for the story? You might have a great story, but if you don't keep them on that journey, they're going to drop off, I think. Especially it's, if it's really interesting. <laughs> it is really interesting because I, I write to entertain myself. You know, I, I, I love writing and I, I like to create. And, and so a lot of the creative writing that I do isn't intended to be published or to go anywhere. I just, I, I will sit down and tell myself a story through my laptop and um, yeah, try, trying to sort of make the leap to, okay, how do I actually present a competent, 
competently structured book that is a very very different thing and but there's so many online online resources I, I have learned so much just in the last few months and, and I think that over lockdown I think a huge number of people will have written their first novel and be going through that 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 process I think a lot of people who are furloughed probably uh, probably decided they would sit down and write the novel maybe we'll have a whole influx of lockdown books I'm sure of it, and a lot of creative content with people having more time to think about these things, be it novels, be it albums, be it, you know, whatever it might be, plays. Mm. What I, uh, part of HR Resource as a community, we're, um, we're a small, but uh, we're a growing, fast growing community. And we have a group within the community that actually um, is called Business Insights 22. And the idea around that is that we, I wanted to tap in to exactly those individuals who started off with lockdown with a to-do list and said, I'm gonna write a novel, or I'm gonna write a book, or I'm gonna share the, more, more importantly, I'm gonna share some of my experience in business and haven't yet got around to doing that. So that Business Insights group is a collective collaboration to ensure that people come together, they share their content, and we have a topic each month and it's business related, and we focus on various things. February was finance, it doesn't have to be alliterative, it just happened that way. But each month we have something, and you can go back to January was well-being. we can go back to that and populate it. But they're the chapters, so each month is a chapter, we get to the end of the year, and then the small amount of money that they pay in terms of the subscription for that goes towards the publishing. We have a multimedia production, which is actually going to um, hopefully help businesses further coming through the whole COVID process, which is, which is what it's about. That's my little cunning plan. <laughs> I, I think what I was trying to do was tap into a lot of that pent up sort of creative and I suppose um, thoughts that people were having about, right, I need to do something now. I want to make use of this time. And they probably got part way with it, but I haven't quite done it yet. I think there was a lot of pressure on people, particularly in the first lockdown. I mean, not on me because I was working from home. I have three children. So I was balancing and juggling all that working uh, from home and, and then I was getting uh, getting these marketing emails that were saying like what what are you going to do with all your spare time and I think I've got no spare time I've never worked so hard in my life but people who did have spare time people who were furloughed or perhaps had older children I, I think there was a huge amount of pressure like right go and improve yourselves go and go and learn a new language or learn an instrument or build a website or write a book and actually I think we should have all given ourselves a bit more of a break because we were just in survival mode at that point. We were in this sort of shocking situation. I think, I think there was a lot of unrecognized grief. I think we were grieving for normal times and, and, and hadn't like really realized it. And then there was this pressure that not only should we be coping and dealing with this totally weird situation, but we should also be improving ourselves and come out with a degree the other side. And I, I think that was, that was a, a lot of pressure. One of, one of my biggest challenges was Zoom, was, was what we're doing now. I mean, a lot of our listeners will just be listening to the, to the podcast, mm -hmm. but also we're recording this the video. And I had, a, I had a real problem with that. I, I don't know where I sit in terms of introvert or extrovert, but I quite like meeting people. I like, like going out and quite sort of outgoing. Mm -hmm. But stick me in front of a video screen yeah. with a number of people, and it doesn't have to be anything particularly formal, structured, or high-powered. I mean, it could be the family quiz on a Sunday. And, I, and I'll make an excuse to go and have to go and start start tea because I, I'm getting better at it now. Uh, I'm getting, but one of the things I decided was I have to get over myself because this could be a format in which we communicate for quite some time to come. Mm. It's one of the drivers that got me to, to doing this because I felt if I don't have something that I regularly have to check in with people I don't necessarily know that well, so I've got to communicate with them. 
So this is thought you are you are part of my therapy, Fliss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad glad to be glad to be helpful. But but that's and I think that's with a lot of people as well that have found this type of communication quite difficult. Now I I, I did hear there are different ways around this. And I heard a fascinating piece on, on one of your Wake Up to Money programs about virtual reality and how that is. That really, funny. really interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not very good at virtual reality. I, I get, um, well, my, my, my husband spends quite a lot of time in his VR headset now. And so he's, he's quite used to it. So he had the sort of the movement turned up quite high, which apparently you can adjust it. I don't really know. But it was one of the first times that I had really used it was 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 to attend a work meeting in in virtual reality not one of my work meetings but because I was researching this story for wake up to money and uh, I felt so so nauseous every time I sort of tried to move around the room you just get the like motion, motion sickness so horrific yeah, motion sickness that it can cause mm. but I, I think I think you can adjust it I, I think that I had a particularly particularly bad experience but it was so interesting to be in a in a, in a work meeting again where you could because with zoom one person talks at a time and and that's it and that can be really hard because that's not how meetings, especially creative meetings, work. You interrupt each other, you talk over each other, you break off into little groups and you can't do any of that on Zoom. And I think that's killed a lot of the very, very creative chatter that's necessary for any industry and any business. But in, in, in VR, you, you can. You can stand in the middle of the room and look at all the different conversations happening or you can move away and other people sort of quiet down and you have a chat with somebody in a corner. It was, it was very, very similar to being, to being in the same room as each other, not as good, uh, but, but very, very similar. And I, I suspect that if that technology had been more advanced, that might've been the technology that we all turned to rather than Zoom. And it might still be the technology that we all turn to just for meetings in the future. I wouldn't be surprised. It's almost, um, what were the terms you you were using? Um, and people like blended and hybrid, this sort of different way of working together that that uses other forms of technology that um, mm. that we might we might become more familiar with. I, I, I saw the there was a picture I think I think it was the, the picture you shared with this. It looked a little bit like a social gathering of people that had sort of gone past. Uh, they were celebrating their achievements on the Wii Fit. It was like yeah. Like, <laughs> They were all that sort of shape. My, my Wii character looked like, um, you know, a, a baked potato on top of a sort of a, a, a larger lump of, of, of mass body. I was just not very good. Because it takes, it takes you sort of BMI, doesn't it? And it created this strange weird shape. I didn't think I was. I, I prefer though the, I, I prefer that virtual reality experience where you are all these sort of weird cartoony shapes with hands, but no arms. I, I, I preferred that to some of the other VR uh, games. I, I did a, a VR boxing game where a very realistic looking human comes swinging punches at you and I, I couldn't do it I, I ended up sitting down on the floor like ah, I can't do it um so yeah I, I prefer my VR quite cartoony yeah and in terms of the um the approach that businesses are taking to now we're thinking about getting back into the working environment I mean not maybe not for the likes of you and I but for other people who, who will be having offices and the people who, who run the businesses who've You've got bricks and mortar are expecting people to go back, but we're getting a mixture, aren't we, of, of views? You know, we've got uh, Goldman Sachs, Mr. Solomon, saying it's an aberration. This whole idea that you know now we're all going to work from home. You know, get yourselves back to work. He's had ten percent of his workforce that have been, you know, working only work working the offices. The rest of everybody's been working from home, um, and then you've got other organisations that are encompassing it and saying, look, we are in this situation. We're going to, I think, is it Reach? Um, mm. 
put out that uh, uh, their workforce, I think pretty much the majority of the workforce is now going to be working from home. Yes, uh, really, really interesting. But then Reach have an office at Canary Wharf. And you think that must be such a, a huge expense to manage. My daughter mm. works there. She works for the Express. So, right. you know, it's something we've become aware of. And it, it, not everybody has a lovely office with with space and time and no interruption to be able to just concentrate and do work um point of fact i think at the moment my daughter's going through a period where her no particular flats they're, they're going through one of these refurbishment things there's drilling and there's banging and there's all sorts of things going on you know that's that's difficult to be able to then find yourself concentrating on especially if it's going on for a period of time so Yes, there are options available, I think, to, to what they're talking about now in what they're offering them. So there's a, there, is a, there is a room to meet and you'll be able to book your time there. But getting the balance right, I think, I think you've got to look at the human in the middle of this. You know, mm. I think we are social creatures. You know, I think that when, when lockdown finishes, this will be a lot easier. So my, when I'm working from home, normally my gym and, and in normal times before covid my gym has a, a lovely uh, and i realize i'm very very lucky to have a lovely gym but my gym has a lovely home working space and you know, it, it, it's away from the rest of the gym and there's comfy chairs and just other people working and you can go and get a coffee and that's very nice and i i think that you know libraries and and coffee shops and i i think that that could be part of what's transforms sort of the high streets. I, I think we do, we don't want to, if, if you look at young people in particular, where they're, you know, some friends of mine were working in their bedrooms throughout the pandemic. One of them had the ironing board set up as a desk because mm -hmm. she didn't have it, she was sitting on the bed. And you think this is, this is not good for your work. It's not good for your back. It's, it's not good for any of that. But once things start to unlock, I think that we'll be finding people are look, seeking out pleasant places to work and that, that'll be good for the high street. And I think good for the individuals. Yeah. I mean, the repurposing of an awful lot of retail space um, mm. is, is certainly going to be one opportunity um, because, and, and a lot of the commercial space, we're going to have to find a way in which we, we, we work through this. Um, I want to just have a touch on a, the mood, if you like, of, of people generally and, and the things that have caused concern. I'm personally part, I don't know that a lot of your colleagues will live in this situation, uh, a part of the excluded group which means that I didn't uh, qualify for any of the government support. And I took an active part of joining that um, community on Facebook. And you, you read of some horrific stories of, of businesses that have, that have just gone, relationships that have broken down, some really quite dark moments that a lot of people have, have faced. And it's somewhere in the region of 3 million people. Um, I don't want to touch on the politics of that because I just, what I want to touch on is finding support and help for people and it's actually debt awareness week so this week so uh, one of the issues that I, i've looked into this and it, it's identified that actually and this, i'm not surprised seven out of ten people just don't talk about it at all mm. but there's another statistics and research that's undertaken recently saying that 82 percent of people who say that they talked about it openly with somebody felt so much better about it you know shocker surprise <laughs> So we want to, we need to try and find a way, I think, to, to be less, and especially, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of maleness involved in these problems as well. Nobody wants to admit to the fact that actually they could be in debt or they, they, they might be struggling to pay, to keep their business going or to pay for their staff or to whatever the challenges might be. Um, what's your view on that? I and mean, given your experience in, in consumer journalism, finance journalism, what's, what's, 
where do you see people at this stage? I've actually, I've been really impressed by a number of online communities that, that have sort of either formed in this crisis or just really come into their own in this crisis. So I think the excluded are a really good example. I, I, I've seen on, on Facebook and other social media platforms, the, the incredible support they have provided to each other, the sort of emotional support separate to any campaigning that they've been doing and, and organizing that they've been doing. They, they have been providing quite an extraordinary amount, I think, of, of, of handholding for each other and counseling to each other and reassurance to each other. And I have been very, very impressed by that. I belong to quite a few social media groups uh, aimed at people who are struggling financially, partly because sometimes I go and ask for case studies for something I'm working on and ask if people have seen, you know, experienced this and that. But, but partly as well, because sometimes I can genuinely offer a helping bit of advice or, you know, I, I have a clearer understanding of certain benefits or laws or you know the, the budget things like that that I can I can kind of share with people when, when they reach out for help and again I, I have just seen such incredible support from groups supporting people through universal credit I, I've always been in some of these groups because I, I, I cover universal credit quite a lot and then suddenly you had what was it sort of 4.4 million new universal credit applicants last year or at the peak of the crisis and you know people who'd never engaged with the benefit system before suddenly trying to make sense of it suddenly trying to understand what it meant for them coming into these social media groups and being given incredible support incredible help uh, and incredible reassurance that they're not alone that this isn't something to be ashamed of and I wonder if you know I, I, perhaps I keep looking for bright spots in this pandemic but I wonder if actually we're going to come through this better able to talk about having been in debt or our businesses struggling because or being on benefits because it's 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 been something that has encompassed everybody you know i wrote an article at the beginning of the pandemic actually when when the furlough scheme was launched saying that we're all benefit claimants now millions of us are benefit claimants now if, if you consider furlough to be a benefit perhaps that will change our attitudes to uh, to sort of receiving state help and i think it's perhaps too early to to say if that's that's the case or not but I, I I think that consistently even through though in this crisis we've been kept apart from each other social media has been just such a huge positive I've seen so many communities form and get each other through it it's been incredible um for once there's, a, there's an opportunity there for people to be able to touch on it before but share their experience to help others and mm. um yeah, excluded is a good example of that, and I and I and you see it. You see some of the difficulties that people are getting themselves into, and you also see a way in which there's a, there's an immediate response. And I think that's the advantage of social media is its immediacy. You know, you're not having to send an email. You know, yes, people are people are there for you straight away, uh, and that's really important. What if, is this something that you've in, you've embraced to sort of help with mental health and and having these these new invaders in your workspace. <laughs> Both them, how's, it, how's it worked for, for Bliss? I shouldn't, shouldn't call my husband an invader, but no. uh, yeah, this is, the, this is the, the most time we've ever spent with each other, ever. I think it's, it is something to get used to. Um, I, I think that I have been incredibly lucky to have been so busy with work in the last 12 months. I, you know, I, I know that's that's added to some of the pressure that I'm under trying to balance everything. But actually, it was the it was the days when I didn't have anything to do that I stopped and fretted and found myself. I've, I've always had quite robust mental health. I've been very very fortunate in my life. But 
I remember months and months through the pandemic where I was I was grinding my teeth, which I've never done before. And that was always when I didn't have anything to distract me. So the more work I have had, the, the, the better able I have been to, to cope with everything that's going on, because not only has it been a distraction from just fretting about this thing I couldn't solve, couldn't do anything about, couldn't make any better and was just anxious about, but also it, it gave me a real sense of purpose. I, I know that journalists, we're on the key worker list and I know that we are not key workers in the way that nurses or bin men or the people at the supermarket are key workers. But I do think that what we've been doing is key work. We have been explaining and informing and mm-hmm. holding people to account. And, and I think it has been has been crucial. And I've, I've got a lot personally out of that. Works, I mean, I, and I would agree with you. I actually see bizarrely the last 12 months have probably been more productive than I've been in the previous five. <laughs> it's, um, it's incredible, but I've, I've tackled the things that I've not had time for before. I've not been able to get to. There's, there's been a space where I've been able to, to get into it. Um, but also I think that for me, I have to do something. I used to do a lot of running. I've got an injury now, which means I can't, which I'll bore you with, but my legs just doesn't, doesn't do that anymore. I, I, I did a great North run where I should have stopped after two miles and didn't. Oh. Uh, bit of an idiot, really. Um, <laughs> but instead, I had to find something else that I could do. And I used to go to the gym. I used to you know, exercise bikes and you know work out that way. And when the gym's closed down, I had to find something else. And um, I've now turned to yoga, believe it or not. And that is, that is helping me. And I thought, I thought I'd stumble across like, oh, it's a really good one. I've just found, I was trying all the different ones and I found um, a young lady called Adrienne, which apparently is, she's hugely successful. So <laughs> 9 million followers and subscribers. Wow. Both my daughters have been, uh, have been uh, fans of hers for quite some time. So there's nothing new, but it was her ability to be able to convey to the people that are, that are taking the classes. Um, and I, in a very, sensible very personable way which sort of draws you in and then you're able to and I, and I feel personally because of the quality of her teaching I've been able to improve my fitness and to be able to better so actually finding something like that has, has, has really helped I mean I would argue as well I can I can be my, my family would testify I can be a workaholic and I think there are times when because of lockdown that that's what you fill your time and your space with and I think that's a danger as well I think there's there's, there's an awful lot of people who um, who have found themselves working longer hours doing more filling that yes t- absolutely is- that that is the other great the other great danger of all this working from home isn't it I, I was talking to uh, a journalist I know the other day who they they live in a fairly you know, fairly compact flat but they have had to give up one of their rooms for being in after work because they have to have it as a workroom so that they can shut the door on it at the end of the day because otherwise it they 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 say it's you know it just spills over into every aspect of their lives and certainly I mean I've always I've always checked work emails late at night and sent you know and I quite often find myself sort of working on the sofa in the evening so I've always been pretty bad for that but I think that there is a I think this is something that businesses are going to have to if they're going to allow their staff to work from home, they're going to have to think about how they manage that because otherwise people people will burn out. So I expect we're seeing quite a lot of that at the moment. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of um, well-being programs, um, mindfulness, thoughts about what staff are actually going through. Um, I mean, I, I've heard some not so good stories and I've heard some very positive stories about how some companies are doing that. Have you had some success stories 
on, on my to money some some companies that are actually dealing with this tackling it and doing it well i think that among the businesses i've spoken to for wake up to money and for any other of my journalism i have consistently been impressed actually that employee well-being has been absolutely key to everybody i've spoken to in fact every boss i've spoken to and, and maybe this is because i'm speaking to small businesses and you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are some some bad examples out there but everybody i've spoken to their main concern has been how are they able to look after their staff are they able to keep their staff in a job do they have to let some of their staff go are their staff getting the hours that they need will the furlough scheme be, be long enough to kind of get their staff through this I, I think there's been a huge a huge focus on staff and perhaps some of that focus necessarily over the last months has been about just just the sheer survival aspect can I keep paying my staff a wage will the government help me keep paying my staff a wage and perhaps as we as we come out of this now it's going to be more of a focus on you know the, the actual actual staff well-being the actual uh, you know how is it going to be as they come back to work if they're coming back to the office or you know there are people out there who've been furloughed or, you know, pretty much full-time for a year and how do you bring those people back into work I, I mean I, I didn't even take time off work really when I had my three babies I you know I, I have always I, I love work and I've always just sort of been straight back into it and had a, had a little bit and then built it back up I cannot imagine how hard it would be if you've been off for a year to, to try and come back. And I think that kind of well-being issue is, is going to be a big, big focus for employers. Yeah, I wrote a piece, um, I do an employment law um, update as part of HR Resource, and I wrote a piece about the uh, the camps, if you like. And the image I used was West Side Story, the, the, <laughs> which was maybe a little bit extreme, but I was getting the point across. Um, the, the idea of those that are furloughed and those that have continued to work all the way through, um, there's a little bit of antagonistic force between the two because if you've been furloughed, um, those that are still at work will probably have found themselves having to do more work and mm -hmm. maybe not been paid more and have perhaps had their conditions not so not so great. Whilst the people and they're thinking about the people on furlough as just well, you've had it easy, you've, you've been paid yeah. never to do anything. Been on holiday. Whereas that's a very stressful period to be in because if you're one of the furloughed, you're on the subs bench, you're not on the pitch. So yeah. are you, where's your future like? And so a decision has been taken and you can have all sorts of things going in your mind and, and, uh, and, and things can spiral. So there's been that st added stress. Um, and also without that thing you were talking about, being busy kept your mind focused on things that were more positive. So without that being busy, where does the mind go? So I think, you know, those, and those people who are furloughed are looking at those people in work with some jealousy thinking, well, you were the, one of the chosen individuals to do it. So there's that. And getting those two groups together to be able to work effectively together, that's a challenge for businesses, but I think they need to spend time doing it and doing it well, mm. because otherwise they're going to have a fractious time for the first uh, few months, as and when people do uh, obviously get back together. Um, I want to really just now think about the, um, the success. Let's, let's end on a high with this. <laughs> what are some of the success stories that we've had coming through? I mean, I, I know you've, you've, spoke, you've got a personal interest in um, the little brick company, Lego. Um, they, <laughs> Lego have been doing incredible, even, even with their, um, they had their results out the other week and I can't remember exactly how, but their, their profits were, were hugely up. And I don't think that's just me, uh, but yes, the Lego have been one of the successors. It's quite nice actually. I think that's been a surge in, in board game sales. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a data geek. I love looking at sort of sales and shopping habits data because I think that it, 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 it tells a very human story. It looks like quite 
bland data and it, it's actually it's, it's a really kind of rich insight so I know that there was uh, there was some Mintel research out last week that showed that we've been buying less deodorant <laughs> last year, which I love. And uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I know that uh, there was some data last year that showed ice cream sales were up, shampoo sales were down, uh, and Lego sales were up. I, I I mean I have always spent a small fortune on Lego because we are a, we're a Lego family. We've got I've got three boys and they they're all completely addicted and actually i i have my own lego collection as well and well, i think i got my wife for uh, for mother's day she was very pleased with <laughs> that is a beautiful minifig i uh, i'll send you a picture later i have a whole i have a whole display cabinet of my favorite women lego minifigs um in fact, every time my boys get a, a, a lego minifig that's a woman they don't put her in your cabinet um because i yeah <laughs> i collect them um but yeah i i, I think that I think the one challenge I actually have as a, as a parent is that because I couldn't take my children anywhere or give them the experiences that I wanted to give them, I have bought them so much more stuff last year. And I, I'm very conscious that, you know, that's a very privileged thing to say. I'm somebody who's been in work throughout this year and I, a lot of people are having a tough time. But for those of us who have been in work or have been furloughed, where, where money hasn't been you know, the, the, the issue, we've actually been saving money because we've been staying home, not able to go out to restaurants, not able to go on holidays. We, we've had sort of more disposable cash. I, I can't be the only one that has just bought my kids more Lego, more magazines, more books, more because I want them to have these enjoyable experiences. And I, I think coming out of lockdown, I need to get that under control because I don't I don't want them to expect new stuff all the time. Yeah. I want them to expect experiences. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We've bought a lot of Lego. <laughs> Hope it holds its value. I just hope you have to, you have to walk around with, with particularly thick rubber-soled slippers so you don't sort of do that horrible standing on the Lego thing. <laughs> do you know, I, I stood on a Lego minifig of Dobby the house elf the other day. And I don't know if you've seen no, the not. Lego minifig of Dobby. His nose is yeah. just a spike. It is just created to, to, to pierce feet. So, yeah, it's a constant hazard. Oh, dear. But, he, but the idea that businesses have been able to be successful, I think, is something that we shouldn't overlook because obviously there's been a lot of negative, negativity around COVID. Um, and I think in terms of positive stories, I think it's something we should try and focus on and look to more innovation and more creativity because I think that, that can be difficult. That can be a challenge. Certainly, you know, trying to do a brainstorming session on Zoom is mm. difficult. Um, and maybe that's where the, where the, the VR comes into it. Um, I, I've been I've been so impressed by small businesses in, in this crisis. I know because perhaps because they're smaller and they're hungrier, they innovate faster. But I've just seen such incredible agility from so many small business owners. Yeah, restaurants pivoting to national food deliveries. Uh, there's one in London, Clay's Kitchen, which I think I think was just a normal sort of curry house before the pandemic, and now they're they're, they're delivering across the UK, and you have to book it weeks in advance because there is so much demand, and it's very very good. And there's just all sorts of examples like that with these these small business owners who could have simply hung up their boots in this pandemic and said, well, you know, how are we supposed to get through this? And instead, they have they have done such incredible things where they can, where their business can kind of pivot to some new direction and it's been it's been incredibly incredibly impressive Chris this has been wonderful and I appreciate you have uh, a school run to, to, to <laughs> real life it's you know a, a mother of three young children and multitasking brilliantly as you do um, we haven't even got into the, the times you have to get up to in the middle of the night for wake up to money <laughs> that's that's just uh, very impressive 
one thing I would like you to, uh, to think about as far as our, our audience is concerned, if there's any piece of advice that you've been given in your career or insights that you think um, has helped you that might help people who are listening right now. I think, um, I, I, I suppose my, I mean, you know, my, my experience is very, very journalist, journalism focused, um, but I have never ever reached out, reached out, God, that's awful speak, isn't it? I've never ever got in touch with someone I admire and regretted it. I have had help and advice or even just a nod of encouragement from all sorts of people at the top of their game because particularly when I was younger, I got in touch, I emailed them or I tweeted them or I even sometimes picked up the phone to them and just asked, yeah, hi, I'm, I'm new and I'm trying to accomplish this, 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 and I really admire you because of these reasons and I, you know, what advice do you have for me? And I, have, I don't think I've ever been, been turned down. I have had so much good advice and help and pointers and support that way. And now it's something that I try and do for aspiring journalists when they come to me, which, which they very often do. They come and ask if they can do remote work experience. I've done quite a bit of that in lockdown. And I'm sort of trying to, trying to pay on the, 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 the favours that I definitely benefited from when, when I was younger. So I think that I assume this works across all industries. I think whatever industry you're in, if there's someone that you admire, if there's someone who's doing the thing that you want to be doing, get in touch. Everyone loves to hear that you admire them and they'll want to share their insights and, and, and their, you know, their journey and, and, and see what you can learn, learn from them. So I think it's, it's always worth you know, looking up at where you want to be and then talking to the people who are already there and saying, how do I get there? Yeah, don't be shy. I think that's, you know, and it concerns me to a certain extent with, a, with being the father of, I'm actually three quite outgoing um, young adults now, but each of them, I think, um, reflect the, the generation, the sort of gen, gen Y, Gen Z, this sort of reluctance perhaps to pick up the phone um, and, and deal with that type of technology in a way that is more than just a text or a WhatsApp message. So. I, I'm with you. I think there is reaching out to people and having a conversation which could result in supporting them is not necessarily going to be something that puts somebody out. If it's couched in the right way, it's actually an endorsement and a bit of an ego boost for somebody who's yes. <laughs> dealing with life in a particularly different way and maybe wants to be able to be a little more altruistic um, mm. with time and offer support. That's, that's a great tip. I'm fully endorsed it. And it's something that I've, I've also done in my years. When I look back now, and one of the things that I did, um, and it's on my list of to-dos, uh, one of the things I did is I reached out to, reached out, see I'm doing it as well now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new phrase. Um, to an, my, my first really outstanding boss, the lady called Jackie Elliott. And um, she was my boss, my first marketing role at Thomas Cook. And I was, I was there for no more than about 12 months, certainly no more than eight, about 12 months. But she taught me so much. She gave me the inspiration. She, she led me into taking a marketing degree and blah, 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 blah. But that was the catalyst. And I'd lost touch with her. You know, uh, when she left the company, that, that was it. And I used the Thomas Cook alumni and I've, I've, I've managed to track people down and I've, and I've pieced things together and we've made connections. So we're going to have a conversation this week. And I, and I just think it's worth telling somebody in that situation, actually, do you know what? You, you, you really helped me. So it's, there's a number of things that I think that, that can help people, because you never know what's going on in their life at that particular moment, but it'd be nice to hear an affirmation that what they did for your career was, was something really quite positive. 
I agree. I think that you know, there's, there's a saying that you, know, you never forget a good teacher, but actually you never forget a good boss either, particularly a good boss early on in your career who kind of gives you those, gives you that self-confidence and those, those pointers and motivation. Bliss Hannah, thank you very much for your time today. I know it's, it's very valuable because you are so busy and <laughs> greatly appreciated. And I'm sure the audience is going to find an awful lot of what very insightful. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Find out more and join our growing business community by visiting hresource.co.uk.